This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Today, I'm pleased to have with me two designers who bring fresh energy and a very personal take on grand decorating. They're here to talk about how traditional decor might evolve in a very changed world. First up is Dallas-based designer Michelle Nussbaumer, whose style might best be described as grand bohemian, an inimitable mix of patterns, periods, and vivid color, a look that she carries off with enormous panache. Michelle follows in the grand theatrical tradition of Tony Duquette, but with an eye on how people live today. And her Dallas showroom, Ceylon C, is a favorite resource of designers, a grand bazaar full of treasures ranging from vintage textiles to antiques to the fantastic jewelry she designs. Her first book, Wanderlust, Interiors That Bring the World Home, captures her all-encompassing eye and her ability to blend high and low, over-the-top and practical. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Michael. That was such a lovely introduction. Thank you. (laughs) You're very welcome. I'm also enormously pleased to have with us Timothy Corrigan. Tim's work ranges from Los Angeles houses for young families to old world Paris apartments to sprawling estates for Middle Eastern sheikhs. Richly detailed with antiques, hand-painted wallpapers, passementerie, touches of gilt, and the gleam of mirrors, his rooms are also eminently comfortable and practical qualities that he always stresses in his designs. And he is addicted to French Chateau. He's currently renovating his third, and he detailed the renovation of his previous one, the Chateau de Grand Lucie, in his first book. His most recent book is The New Elegance, Stylish, Comfortable Rooms for Today, which I had a little hand in. So welcome, Tim. Oh, it's so great to be with you, Michael. It's so good to be with you, Michelle. Thank you. Can't wait to see you guys here. I know, in reality, as opposed to virtually. So I want to get started with how traditional decor has changed. Because for a while there, it seemed like we saw nothing but mid-century modern. When we started to see traditional coming back, but, you know, in the way that you guys do it, using antiques or whatever. But now with COVID, how do you think that the crisis has changed that? Do you think I think there's a greater emphasis on a home now, but do you think that's going to be good for the kind of detailed and exuberant designing that you do? Or is it going to make people want a simpler, easier, more shaker existence? What do you think, Michelle? You know, really, this is a great question, Michael, but I have to say I have more people calling about second homes right now than I've ever had in my career and more people calling for design. Just it's kind of crazy across the board, but I feel like people really want at this point just something that's comfortable and beautiful. We're spending so much time in our home, so I don't think it necessarily needs to be just very simple. I think people just want something that makes them feel happy. So those are the kind of people that are going to reach out to Timothy and I anyway. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like that will be limiting my client base in some kind of way. People who want a beautiful home that's a little bit grand are still going to want a beautiful home that's grand. So I feel really positive about the whole design industry right now. Right. And Tim, to me, it seems as if people, once they get their house functioning, they then want it to be beautiful. 
And I, of course, that's where you guys can come in in such a great way. Have you noticed that with your clients? Because you have a range of clients, as I mentioned. Absolutely. I think, Michael, I, and I sort of echo, I think, what Michelle was just saying, is that the key thing is that it really has to work first. It has to really work in terms of being being comfortable. It needs, you have to be able to live in it very easily. You don't have to worry about how things stain and, and, and all those practical aspects. But then I think you do go to the next level, which is where you really start focusing on what it looks like and the beauty. And I think that increasingly people want more beautiful rooms. They want homes that can be their sanctuaries. A lot of the mid-century modern, it looks beautiful on paper, but gosh, if you've been at home for months and months and months with all your stuff, it doesn't look so pretty anymore because you've got all this junk in there that's distracting from what that purity of that mid-century modern look is. Whereas a home that is more in the style that Michelle and I do is actually much more forgiving. It's easier to live in because it's actually everything does not have to be in a perfect place uh, and you can it accommodates the things the accoutrement of life and so i think that increasingly people are looking for more comfortable but also spaces that are more accommodating to live in i just want to say that you could not have said that in a more precise way and i feel like too a lot of people now are entertaining at home not maybe the way we're thinking but with their families and close friends And so they want to have the home functioning for that as well, which, you know, for so long, I would do kitchens and homes for people that I don't know if they ever went in these kitchens. All of a sudden, people are all over their kitchen and their living spaces. And so I think that um, Timothy's right. In a modern sense, that is such a precise kind of look that anything out of space, you know, kind of ruins the look where in the kind of houses we do, the more, the better. Right. It's very hard to live minimally. I mean, I think also it, it you know, comes out of that English tradition, the country house tradition of relaxing, a place to put your drink or your cup of tea, a book at hand, that kind of thing. And I think Americans are warming up to that, but I think it is hard because I see in magazines and in Instagram these beautiful rooms where everything is in place. And mid-century, you know, has been popular for a while now and will continue to be. I think now people are more willing to mix it up than perhaps they were before. But I think that this kind of relaxing, I would say it comes from Europe. And you guys both are heavily European influenced. You both have homes in Europe. What do you think you would like American clients and American designers to take from Europe? What's the one, one or two things that you would most want them to adapt I'd say the, the key thing is that if you look at European homes, uh, English and French and, and Italian, is that they're not perfect. Not every color is exactly matched. Not the rug is not Thank tied God. in with the d- detailing of, of, of the wallpaper, et cetera. Americans are frankly afraid of getting it wrong. They wanted everything to be perfect. And, and I think that what you look at, the sort of the relaxed, casual aspect of the good English country houses, the French country houses, et cetera, there is, it's, it's meant to be a little bit haphazard. Everything's not meant to be perfect. And that's part of what gives that, that feeling that, hey, this is a place for you really to live and relax. Right. There's a relaxed kind of elegance that is irreverent that the English and very much the Europeans all do. I lived for quite a while in Rome. And so when I came back to America, people would say, you know, we want an Italian home. And they didn't understand what an Italian home was. For them, this was some kind of Mediterranean thing that they couldn't really understand. Right. That's not a thing in Italy. You know, they might have a beautiful cement tile floor or a beautiful marble 
mosaic floor, but that floor has probably been there for hundreds of years, you know, and they just added on. And the other thing I love very much about European homes and European estates is that every generation adds another layer. And if you look at Chatsworth, you know, there's a portrait by Lucien Freud of the Duchess, and which is such a modern portrait. And then, you know, there's the portraits by Gainsborough. So it's all there together. And of course, not everyone can have that, but in a way, I certainly can't. <laughs> well, right, but in a way, you can have your family things and just mix them in generationally at your farmhouse or whatever it is, and just be more irreverent with your house, and it'll bring you so much more joy. I think. Right, but I do think that people get intimidated by things of value. I mean, one thing about Europeans is they treat things of value as if it's just another item in the home, whereas, you know, Americans. Well, when I grew up and I'm dating myself, but it used to be that furniture was sold in sets. You know, you buy the sofa and the two chairs and the matching coffee table. And, you know, I think there's nothing worse in terms of having personal style than having a set, a match set of but, virtually but that, anything. That, that idea of a match set is really all about getting it right, about it right. being that, that this matches with this and this matches with this. And that's what, you know, you, you don't want to do. You don't want to feel like it all came as a set. Right. Uh, and I think you do want it to feel like it's a look that has evolved over time, generations or over the course of your own lifetime. You want it to feel like it reflects who you are and who you've been. Right. I always tell people collect and buy what you love and somehow it all goes together and looks beautiful together. So I think if people will trust their own tastes and styles instead of necessarily following a trend or something and just say it always somehow matches and goes together in a irreverent kind of way. I have to use that word again. Right. But, you know, when also you mentioned color, and I think color is another thing that Americans are reluctant to embrace. I mean, I remember, again, um, when I was young, there were definite colors that you didn't go together. You wouldn't wear them together. You wouldn't use them together. And, and it was funny. We did a cherished trend report a couple of months ago, and one of the hot color trends was red with pink. And when I remember when I was a kid, my sisters, and I had three sisters, it was like, oh, no, red does not go with pink. You don't you, you wear them together. You know, there were these strict rules. Now, you guys break those rules all the time. Is that a hard sell for your clients? I mean, do you find people re- reluctant to embrace that kind of I think, again, people are afraid of color. Uh, You look Mm -hmm. at the European fabric manufacturers and they will say, gee, we've got all this huge range of colors and we love to show everyone that we've got these range of colors. But in the end, they will probably come back with the cream, the beige, the the taupe, whatever. But I think that that aspect of using color is so important in terms of giving life to a room. And it's interesting, you talk about this aspect of, of people thinking that certain colors don't go together. I've got a, a book that I, that I use. It's from 1926, and it's called Color and Interior Decoration. It's from a, a writer in England. Uh, and it actually talks about colors that are traditionally thought not to, not to go well together and how, in fact, actually they can work beautifully when you're pairing these colors you would never think of putting together. Right. Now, Michelle, you are fearless with color. I mean, I just saw a a Kitchen of the Year you did for How It's Beautiful, and it was like a beautiful purple patterned wallpaper, a black backsplash, and a vivid red sink. And it was like, wow. Talk a little about how you use color. Well, first of all, I want to say that my favorite color anthology is pink and red. So it's all <laughs> okay, over my good, house and my whole living room is pink and red. And it's been that way since 1984. So 
Yes, I love color. I'm not afraid of color. I just did a line that came out in Paris with Clarence House. And of course, I did all the crazy color combos that I love. And then we sort of did everything in blues and grays, which are probably the number one sellers. So I think Americans are afraid of color. Having said that, my line is doing amazingly in the color vibe in London and South Africa, which is so shocking in a way. But I guess it makes sense. So I love color. I think I herald back to the same idea that if you love it, it sort of works. And Mm -hmm. what I don't like is a matching trim with the matching stripe and the matching this and the matching that. I don't really like that. I like something a little off. And wasn't it Carl Lagerfeld who said, you know, without without ugliness, there is not beauty. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a little bit of something wrong for it to really come together. A little together. surprise, a little, a little something that jolts your eye. So I you think, think a what little is that? something. So your right. eye does not just rest in the whole room that becomes one montage of the same thing. Right. And I think the way that happens in European homes, and I have to include in this, you know, Moroccan homes and probably Indian homes, is that there's really not this idea in these other countries that everything has to match. It just doesn't right. even exist in their mentality. And and I think as Americans, we get very hung up on that, everything matching. Right. And like, Tim, in your your fabrics for Schumacher, and I know, and then you do trims. Do I want to talk a little bit about trims for for, um, Samuel and Sons? I mean, you do blue and white. I know you have blue and white, which is Mm -hmm. the traditional thing, but you have lots of different colors. And certainly in your wallpaper murals that you do for... um, it went right out of my head For right Fromental. Fromental, thank you, dear. Yes. The wallpaper panels that you do for Fromental are certainly wild as opposed to some, uh, you know, you, you cover they're, the market. They're real, statement, you, they're real statement pieces. And right. I think that- I love your Fromental pieces. Oh, thank they're you. Thank you. thank you. I think, I think what was interesting is in all of those, both the trims and the Fromental wallpaper and, and, and for the, the fabrics, is, is that they're all embracing color. Interesting, when I was developing uh, this collection, uh, my new collection for perennials, I was showing them much warmer colors than they had ever been used to. They always sort of focused on sort of cooler, grayish toned colors. And I was kept pushing them for warmer colors because I actually think that people feel happier when they are with colors that are warmer, that are warmer in terms of their tones and base. And I will often look at a room that if I'm looking at something and say, that's a happy room or that's kind of a downer room. I don't think people really want to be in downer spaces. They want to be in spaces that elevate them and make them feel good. And color is such a key component in creating that that feeling. Right. And I think especially now with this crazy world, I think we all need that psychological lift that color and pattern too can bring because Michelle, you are a master of mixing patterns, I think. And, you know, not subtle ones either. Talk a little (laughs) about how you do that because I know it's another thing people, I'm afraid of it. I know, I know a lot of people are afraid of it. How, How do you approach that? And is it a hard sell for your clients or... Are they willing to embrace it? So it's very much intuitive for me. And I've been asked a couple of times to sort of give talks on mixing patterns. And I think it's intuitive, I guess. But of course, you have a bigger one mixed with a smaller one. But sometimes I don't follow that rule either. So I don't know. It has to just feel right for me. So I don't really know how to answer that completely. But I really tried to work it out for people in my line with Clarence House. You know, my clients pretty much love pattern and color. Otherwise, I guess they wouldn't call they me. They wouldn't hire you, probably. Yeah, right. I do sometimes do white houses, which is strange, and that has happened. But somehow, by the end of the job, there's usually some color in there somewhere that I've convinced them to do. I just feel that color makes me so happy. And, you know, I think there's this sort of thing that we've been taught for years that, you know, a bedroom should be pale and really calming. And 
you know, that doesn't necessarily make everyone happy. I mean, if that does make you happy, let's definitely do that. But if your favorite color is orange, let's make it orange. Like wake up in a beautiful, sunny orange room. And that's what I try to help people achieve in their lives. And a lot of my clients know they want pattern, but then they're afraid even when they do hire me. So it's kind of baby steps. Yeah, so they do take a little cajoling sometimes. A lot. Are you kidding? And they'll show me all these pictures out of my own book or some other book. And they'll say, we want this. And then when I pull it together, they're like, but wait, that doesn't really match. And, you know, so oh, it that's takes... good to know. No, this I, I'm happens. not alone in my fears. This that's good happens. to know. happens. But, you know, I try to draw it out or we render it. And finally, they kind of get on board. And sometimes when they don't, then later they're like, you were right. We need to add some more pattern here. Right. It makes people happy. Yeah, I agree. But Tim, you you do a lot of houses, especially in LA. You know, LA is a, a city that indoor, outdoor, you know, a lot of white backgrounds, a lot of white houses, because it's, you know, it, the sun is so beautiful there. The light is so great. And there's so much greenery. So how do you get people to incorporate, you know, more colors? And sometimes I know you pick up the green from nature and we'll put that in the kitchen or whatever. Is it a hard sell? How do you do that? No, I think that I don't know. I'm not always playing, you know, this, this hard rule that the, 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 the upholstery all has to be bright colors. I will oftentimes go with very neutral, solid colors and whites and, and, and creams for the big upholstery pieces, but then go really wow on the color, on the walls, on the rugs, on the curtains, etc. I think that Michelle is a little bit more exuberant in, in her in her design in terms of mixing huge She's patterns. She's pretty exuberant, more exuberant than most people, I yes, would say, that's most true. designers. Uh, and, and so I, I, I probably am a, a little less, a little more restrained on that. But I, so I have no trouble going with a white sofa, but then adding the wow and the punch in terms of fabrics for pillows and, and uh, or a, a bench, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I, I, again, I think it's, you always have to sort of figure out, the way I look at it, is I sort of look at a room and I say, what are my, who are my leading characters and who is the supporting cast? Now that's a very typical LA thing to say, but it's in the room. What is going to be the star? What's going to be, is it the wall covering that's going to be the star? Is it the curtains that are going to be the star? Is it the rug? Is it the fabric on the chairs? And I sort of look at what are the big stars and then what are the, the other parts of the room that are the supporting characters? Because I don't think you cannot have a room full of only stars. You have to have the supporting characters as well. You have to have a place for the eye to rest as well. I agree, Timothy. Yeah. Now, I wanted to get a sense from you guys because you have been working with all kinds of antiques from different eras. You know, your shop, Michelle, you go in there and you're like a time traveler from one corner to the next. You know, you, you have a very embracing eye, which I think is a wonderful thing. But what are you looking to, what do you see coming next? I mean, you know, it seems like Georgian furniture, which I personally love, English Georgian brown, you know, we used to call it, used to call it brown furniture. I love that stuff. It has been out of style for a long time. And you keep hearing, oh, maybe it's coming back. I don't know. We've seen trends come and go. I mean, we saw Suzani's like crazy for, you know, and El Decor certainly promoted that for a long time. What do you see on the horizon? What are you looking at? Well, I still, love Su- I still love Susani's, but I have to say that a few years ago in my shop, I have a warehouse and I put all my 18th century Italian furniture in the warehouse because I just was not getting the price that this stuff was worth and that the stuff I had bought in Venice and collected over many trips to Europe and just most beautiful things and Georgian furniture, Regency, Regence. And I just thought this isn't selling. So I'm going to stick it in the warehouse because it will be back. I've started bringing it back and it is flying out. I, I oh, actually, good. I've actually always loved brown furniture. I mean, beautiful patinas on beautiful wood, 
what is not beautiful about that? Mm -hmm. And for so long, things have just been very accessible. They still are. And I think that that's on the rise. I think brown furniture is on the way back. And if you look at the work of quite a few English designers and decorators, you will see that they use a lot of brown furniture and they actually never quit. So I would much rather have something beautiful of provenance in my house than some new thing that's, you know, not really real and that's just used furniture, really. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think Cherish, exactly, is a good place for that. I've had sales on there. It's been great. I find great things on there for clients. I love auctions. And there's just so many places to find these things still. Hi, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the Cherish podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I am the co-founder and president of Cherish. Professional designers are invited to join the Cherish Trade Program to access special benefits like net pricing and a special trade-only customer service hotline. New this year, we're also introducing a loyalty program where designers earn $75 in cash for every $5,000 they spend on Cherish. We do hope you'll join us. And in order to do so, please visit cherish.com backslash trade. That's spelled C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com backslash trade. And now back to the show. And Tim, what about you? It's interesting because I I do think that antiques are actually uh, coming back. I was um, talking to some antique dealers in Atlanta earlier this year, and they were talking about how young people were actually coming in and buying antiques. And, you know, it was so interesting because they said they were comparing it versus the price of buying a table from restoration hardware. And they found that it was no more expensive to buy an antique. And yet- Probably cheaper. Probably cheaper. It is cheaper. I didn't really want to say that. Yes. And the quality is, the quality is far better. Uh, And it's, and, and, and it's, and, and frankly, when you buy a piece of furniture that's brand new, it becomes used furniture the next day, it's worth 10 cents on the dollar. Whereas right. if you buy an antique, it's already had its depreciation and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hold its value better. So I, I think that young people are actually realizing that there are a whole lot of benefits beyond the fact that it's also green to buy antiques in antiques. I think that it's, the trends are going towards to some of the more unusual antiques. Uh, I'm seeing things that are at least at auction, at least that are some of the more unusual shapes and, and not just the traditional shapes that are coming back. Uh, people are, are sort of finding them and sort of saying, oh, that's special. And it feels, it feels a little less old fashioned because there is some quirkiness to it. Right. Another thing I'd like to add to that is antiques have a scale that is for the human body. Whereas very much furniture today, especially like what we were talking about, restoration hardware and some of these things are scaled to the room. So they're huge. And you can really just kind of fit one big thing in there. So to create the look that Timothy and I both do, even in a grand chateau like Timothy does, you know, you want a few other seating areas. You can't necessarily do that with big furniture. And um, so that's another thing I like about antiques is that you can add those layers that way. Right. I mean, some of the scale of you know, not just resto, but some of the showrooms you go in and you think, oh my God, you know, if you, especially if you live in Manhattan, like I do. Yeah. I mean, you, you have one chair just, in your living room. Yeah. Exactly. You if can't you can fit get in, it in the door. How do you yeah. create anything beautiful with <laughs> right. that? You just right. can't. Right. And yet people love it. But, you know, it's that vision of loft living that, you know, we've, we've been dreaming of. It's been promoted since the 80s, you know, living in big spaces with the open kitchen. Furniture should be scaled to the human body, not to right. the room. 
Right, right. I think that's a very good, interesting point, you know. But it's like, how do we get people to really think differently? I mean, I do think that COVID, this crisis, the pandemic is is changing. You know, people now have, are working from home, so a, they're spending more time at home, so they become more dissatisfied with what doesn't work about their home. But they also need, maybe they need privacy to do their Zoom calls or their podcasts, or maybe that, you know, the kids need a space where they can be off on their own. Maybe you don't need just one home office, but you need two home offices. So I think that we're, we're going in for a change, you know, much more emphasis on being able to go outdoors. It's more healthy. You know, people, especially if you're in the city, people are flooding the parks and any place where there is a green, you know, just hang out in a courtyard, whatever it might be. So I think that there is a bit of a change. And I think this is a time that maybe people are going to look to more traditional forms because they are as you said, Tim, and both of you have said, it's very comforting. Mm-hmm. And I think besides the function, people want comfort and they want beauty. Isn't there something about it too as the way we all grew up where we actually, you know, ate with our families, played out in the garden, you know, plopped down on the family sofa with your friends. I mean, it's just about using your home. I just feel like it's a way referencing back to how I grew up and there's something that feels good about it. So I hope that parts of this things of this terrible thing that's happening to us all, there are parts of it that have been good in that oh, way. Oh, absolutely. And I think the fact that Michelle, you and I were talking just before we, we got on this call about the, that you're spending more time with your husband and together that you have in years. I think we're all doing that. We're spending more time with our families. We're spending more time with the people that are close to us. And I think that there are such huge gifts in that. And it's so important to find the positive aspects of this period and take them forward as we move beyond this period, because we will get beyond this period. But the lesson is to take this, take the good things from this and carry them forward. And Timothy, I've seen a lot of friends on Instagram, for example, you know, just cooking for their families and setting the table with such love every night. And they'll post, you know, these gorgeous tables where they're mixing their china patterns and using things they hadn't used. And I think there's something so great about that, that people are pulling out things they haven't used, enjoying family time and, you know, are friends, small groups of friends, and just really using their things instead of just going to a restaurant every night. There's something comforting about right. It. And I wanted to bring to bring that up. I'm so glad you brought that up, Michelle, because I think entertaining, of course, is an important part of being home, especially now we can't go to a restaurant, sadly. Right. But, and I love restaurants and believe me, I'm sick of my own cooking. But, you know, there is something about entertaining, which had gone out of style for a while. You were right. People didn't entertain, have dinner parties. I mean, I have a few friends who had wonderful dinner parties and I could occasionally muster it up and have people over dinner. And I always loved it. And I think it's, I still think it's the ultimate compliment to have somebody come to meal in your, in your home. To me, that's, you know, if you invite somebody to dinner, that's the ultimate compliment. But I think if people were away from that, you know, the tabletop market, the bridal market, and Tim, you did, you've done dishes for that. You know, that market seemed to be shrinking. A lot of the companies were going out of business. Do you think we're going to, going to experience a turn, a shift with that? What's interesting, Michael, is that I just moved into a new house uh, in Mm -hmm. Los Angeles very first day of, of the COVID shutdown. And I had no choice but to continue with the movers for the next three days. So I, I've only lived in this house during the COVID period. And what we decided was we decided that we were going to make sure that we have dinner in the dining room every night. So uh, yes, there's a wonderful table in the kitchen and, and I use that for breakfast, but I make, you know, at, in the evening we go in and it's at a big table and we'll light the candles and it's really making it special. And it's, you know, it's just Kathleen and me and there we are, we're, but it mm-hmm. makes that whole occasion feel special. 
and, There's something and, and more lovely. traditional that's happening, right? That we love. That's a thing sort of from a long time ago, from my childhood or something that we're all right. doing. And there's something so great about it. I feel yes. like when my children were growing up so often, they all had something different to do, a different game, a different activity. So it was so rare that we actually all got to sit down together. And so that's just been so great for people, I think. Yep. And it doesn't take any more time to do that. That's right. the key thing. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just literally, you're going to put a placemat down, you put it down in the dining room, you know, use your good china. You can still put it in the dishwasher, even if it's got gold on it. Use right. your good things. Make every day special. It's better to use that, your best things. I tell people, all my young clients, I say, you know what? Use your beautiful linens, throw them in the washing machine, don't iron them, but don't use a paper napkin. Use your silver, except for the knife, stick it all in the dishwasher, but use it. Use it, and why not? It's going to sit on a shelf and no one ever uses it from generation to generation? No. Right. And there's a a, a line from Joan Didion that I love. Somebody asked her once about how she was using, you know, I think she set up lunch for a writer or something, and you know, with lovely plates and sterling and all this. And they they said, oh, well, do you use this every day? And Joan Didion responded, well, what else do we have other than every day? (laughs) You know, and I've always remembered that line. Life is short, you know, life is short and use that. So I'm hoping that people will start to enter once, especially when there's more mobility and you can, uh, you know, entertain besides just your direct immediate family, that people will have learned from this and you know, people are entertaining outdoors now. I'm having some friends over outdoors and, you know, you still, we set a nice table and it's fun and you put candles. And I think that that's one of the things that may last. Not, as I said, I'm still longing to go at a restaurant. I'm, you know, I haven't had French fries hardly in four months, but and that's not something I'm going to cook myself. But I think that that going back to this idea of taking um, the time, you know, life was so frantic before. And I think this is one of the, few good things we've learning from this this crisis and as well as to appreciate nature more. And I wanted to ask you guys about some of the specifics of what you're using now and, and the schemes that you're coming up with new clients. What are they asking for? What are you looking at? Is there more eagerness on the part of your clients for trims, passementary, you know, elaborate curtains? But what are they looking for? Tim, what are your clients looking for? It's interesting because I think just as Michelle was saying, we've actually had, I was expecting at the beginning of this, this, this crisis that there would be no new projects coming in. It's been quite the contrary. We've, we've signed three big new jobs in, in the last uh, six weeks. Congratulations. And all, yes, I'm very lucky with that. But they're all looking for, um, they're really looking for things that are, that are elegant, that are, that are beautiful, that are detailed. So they, they all are res- respond to trims and detailing and the extra little details that set something apart from something that you're going to buy from a catalog or from mm-hmm. something else. You know, it's, it's, it's all about that customization. And I think people more than ever want to feel that something is uniquely theirs and has been made specifically with them in mind. And I, so I think that will continue. I think that the, whether it's buying a simple lamp that you buy from Target and just put a little trim on the lampshade, which makes it feel special makes it feel like it's unique. And I think that that's what people increasingly are going to be looking for. And how about you, Michelle? Well, I so agree with what Timothy's saying. And I have to say that with everything so accessible right now in the world, you know, you can just go online and practically find it anywhere. And be delivered to your door. Yes. And so what people really want is for their house to feel individual, to 
to them and personal to them. So I think people come to people like Timothy and myself to create a personal environment. And they know that we will find and search out things that aren't necessarily available to every single person or create them. And I think luxury is something my clients are really asking for. And all the new jobs I've gotten in the last three months have been either second homes or people that just realize their house is not working for them at all. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of a remodel or a second home, a ranch or a hacienda I have right now. So I think this has made people realize, you know what, we want to escape to the countryside with our family. Or if we live here in town, we want to make this a sanctuary and livable for every person. And so they want like you said, exactly like a space for the children, a work area for the children, a work area for the husband, and something personalized that feels their family. Right, right. I think even before the COVID crisis, people were getting away from those McMansion and the kind of houses. I think people now, and a lot of city people want to move out to the suburbs or the country, but I think they don't necessarily want those huge open plan you know, kitchen spilling into the living room, no particular dining room, the playroom I think, we're see, I think we'd already seen that before. The, right. the fact that, that the, the one big kitchen living room, real estate people told me, gee, people don't want that as much. They actually want to be able to have some closure, some, some way of separating those spaces. And I think that becomes all the more important when we have more people in the house all the time. And Timothy, don't you think that's too because people are actually cooking in their kitchen? They're not actually just ordering some food and setting it out for (laughs) everyone to enjoy. (laughs) So when you really cook in the kitchen, it turns into a mess. So you don't necessarily want everyone to see that, do you? Right. Or or smell it. (laughs) Right. I hate the smell of a lot of cooking food. So I was, you know, the the, the Europeans always have the kitchen as far away from the living areas as possible. With all the windows open. That's right. Except the Italians. It smells so good. You want to smell that. Yes. Right. I've always liked a cook's kitchen, really, where it's sort of the opposite of the house. And I always try to convince clients of this. And sometimes they go for it and sometimes they don't. But I just think it's so much more civilized to be able to kind of shut the door and then open, you know, this sort of amazing experience to your to your friends without them really seeing everything that goes on behind the scenes, but still big enough for your own family to hang out in there. Right, right. I mean, and it's like you said, who wants to look at dirty dishes? Some, I, and one designer once said to me, well, the solution for that is very deep sinks. You know? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> there's still ways. They have there's those. Still mess. But you don't see they it. They have yes. those farm sinks now. I guess right. that's what they're right. for. Right, right. But it's interesting to me that, that, you know, you talk. You mentioned a challenge with your clients. Sometimes it's your. What are some of the challenges that you have with your clients in terms of trying to convince them of things, or they resist things, or they just don't understand? I'd love to get a sense of because I'm. I know your clients are very sophisticated. Both of you, they wouldn't be turning to you if they weren't knowledgeable and sophisticated. And I think sometimes clients are almost too knowledgeable. They have. Too many ideas in their heads, it seems, from what designers tell me. You know, it's interesting, and I'd be curious to see if if Michelle, if you have the same feeling. But I think the the most difficult thing that I have in terms of convincing clients is the importance of art. That having things on the wall make a huge difference, and so mm-hmm. so many. So many of my clients, you know, I always, you know, the typical thing is, oh, you can't get clients to get accessories and, and to fill out the room that way. I don't have as much of that problem anymore. It's really to make them understand the importance of art. And it doesn't have to be fine art. It doesn't have to be great art. It's just, but, but you need something on the walls to make the room feel complete. Right. Uh, right. And, and to fill that. So I think that's, that's one of the bigger areas that we have to challenge them on. 
I think you're right, Timothy, because I think when you do jobs like we both do, you know, people obviously spend quite a lot. And it's that last layer that is really the layer that makes things look the most beautiful and the most lived in. It's that last thing that really makes things come and sing and come to life. And that's when they sort of get like, oh, it's great. You know, sometimes they don't really realize, well, wait, that now we have to put the icing on the cake. Like, do you want the cake with birthday candles with no icing? That's what I usually tell them. Right. I'm like, okay, so we're going to serve a cake with some candles stuck in the batter there. Is that going to be cute? And they're like, oh no, we want the flowers and the name and you know, all that. So they sort of sometimes get it that way. But yes, I think getting people to finish the job with the layers and the accessories and the art is sometimes problematic. But you know, a lot of my clients, I have to say, I've worked with for years and years. Like I don't have any jobs that I've done and in a year we're finished. I have clients I work for for 20 years. So, and I've done multiple houses for them and we've moved from one house to another and the children have bought a house that I've redone and used things from the old house, from the warehouse or whatever. So I have generations of people that I've worked with and for many, many years. So I kind of don't have that with those people. It's maybe the new people that get married and don't really have anything. And what I usually do is try to get them to do a collection of photography, like a Mark Shaw Mm -hmm. or you know, something like that. We start with maybe that level. And of course, if I could ever get them to get an Avidon, I would. But Mm -hmm. I think it's a great place that young people can start. Yeah, because paintings are still fairly reasonably priced. It's accessible to young people and looks really great. Right. Right. Well, I can just to back both of you up, I can tell you that when I was editor of El Decor, we had so many really interesting projects that came in that we just couldn't or wouldn't photograph because they didn't either had no art or bad art. And it just looks unfinished, especially when you photograph a room. I'd rather have bad art than no art. You know, sometimes we'll do, we'll frame a Gracie panel or something, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things. You you know, get an old, uh, you've you've recommended this, Tim, you know, get a a book with uh, botanical plates in it, take them, you know, not the rare one that belongs in, you know, the the best library, but, you know, a reprint or something, take, take those pages out and have them framed and, you know, put them in the powder room or put them in the girl's Absolutely. bedroom. It's beautiful, you know, and it's, it doesn't even have to be valuable. Auction, even at auction, at auction you can find so many things that Fabulous. are so reasonable and you can do a Fabulous. whole art wall. Yes. Right. Yes. I, I love I, art. I mean, art is so important. I often will draw the distinction with clients between decorative art and fine art. And right. that you can, you can buy really wonderful decorative art for two and three and $400, $500 and, you know, framed, et cetera. And boom, put it on the wall and the room is going to feel so much more finished. And again, again, this issue about whether it's good art or bad art, I think it's, it's a lot of times it's important if, if you love it, if, you, if, that, if it speaks to you in some way, then it's successful. Right. You know, I have a new line coming out with Wendover Art Group and there's so many beautiful pieces you can find from places like that in the, in the you know, in the decorative center or whatever, where they've done all the framing and the price point is so great. I mean, it's, I'm shocked by actually the price point because it would cost me twice as much to frame it in the beautiful right. way they do. Right. Because framing and, can be you know, really expensive. God really knows. expensive and so important. It's the same thing. Like, I feel like, gee, you can get away with not a great lamp if you have a great lampshade. It's the same way with art. Sometimes, you know, I'll tell the clients, let's buy this painting for $200. We'll put a great frame on it that may cost $400, but it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be so much better because the frame is so important. 
The framing is everything. I agree, Timothy. Right. And you know, in Paris, when you go to the flea market, you can go to these stalls upstairs at Dauphine Market, and they have all of these old prints that sometimes I'll buy, and we'll frame them and mat them up, and they just look like a million bucks. Do you ever right. go there, Timothy? It's oh, so absolutely. great. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, right. I buy a lot of frames at the Paris flea market as well, just because yeah. they're, they're yeah. great frames. I love that old frames. Yeah. Right. The other thing that you love, Timothy, and I, I think I suspect you do as well, Michelle, is mirrors, you know, and that sometimes you get an old frame and you put mirror in it, have it, you know, absolutely. Mirror cut and, and again, I think, I think mirrors are, I, I think that's probably the biggest trick that I use is I use mirrors a lot in rooms and, and clients will often say, well, I don't know if I, I don't want to be looking at myself. Doesn't it feel vain? And I, and I sort of say mirrors are not there to even look in. They are there to, to make the room feel op- more open, to expand the space, to let light in, to make it feel brighter. And, and, and so I think mirrors are a, a trick that, that people really should be embracing more of. Yeah. I love mirrors. I agree. Yeah. And, and it's also a great way for a frame to stand out. You oh, know, absolutely. The frame becomes a sculpture. And yes. mm-hmm. I think it's, it's so great. You know I what mean, I sometimes do, another sort of trick, is sometimes I'll buy a mirror that is not really a great mirror, but it has sort of an okay frame on it. And then I'll frame it again in a better frame on top of that. So it's a oh, double layer. So you can just buy like a frame, at like, you know, I'm not kidding, like Pier 1 or something. And then you frame it again with a bigger frame and it can look like such a showstopper. Yeah. Or even I just will oftentimes buy a frame that it, it, it may just be a, a composite frame, but we just, we'll just paint it. And, and again, it, if it's got beautiful lines, et cetera, it doesn't have, it could be a cheap gold frame. You paint it and it all of a sudden feels totally different. Mm-hmm. And like it, again, white, and then it becomes yes. sort of plaster or something. Right. I love that. Exactly. Right. right. And, and what about furniture? Because I know there was a rage for painting furniture and, paint, and you know, antique painted furniture was a rage, not fairly recently, but do you often do that? I used to paint furniture a lot more. I have to say, I do collect furniture from the 18th century that's been painted black because after Marie Antoinette and Louis says were assassinated, or I don't know what that's called. I guess they were killed. Guillotined. Guillotined. I think they were guillotined. Well, anyway, the royalists at the time would take all of their 18th century furniture and paint it black in mourning. And so it's so beautiful, the patina, because there's all these beautiful 18th century pieces, some with armaloo, some, you know, just more country pieces painted black. And so I've collected them for years. They're really beautiful. Yeah. And there was a, a, a rage in, I think, the 90s where everything was, any old piece of furniture you had or wick or whatever, you were supposed to take it to a car paint shop and have, remember the car finished yeah. paint? I, <laughs> I think I did that. I think I did that. It was called, it was kind of lacquer. It was like poor man's Yeah, it was like lacquer. lacquer. It was a metallic yes. thing. And I, yes. I wonder what I'll have it all that furniture. <laughs> I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's going to come back. In yeah, two it's a little bit, years, it'll, it'll be hot. Yes. Right. I mean, you know, Mission Furniture, when I was young, Mission Furniture was all the rage. Now you can't give it. I mean, there right. are fashions and antiques. Yes. In oh, abs- absolutely. It's totally sick. Yeah. I remember remember when Biedermeyer was everywhere. and, and I again, own a lot of it. Don't make fun of it. I know. I, I still do, too. I see Biedermeyer please back there. I love Biedermeyer. Oh, I love Biedermeyer. And Biedermeyer, Biedermeyer is so classic. I mean, I think, yeah, that I think was that's... The modern, that was the modern furniture of its age. Did yes, you know? it was. Yeah, yes, it was. Yes. And, and, and I think that's the important thing is to, when, when you, if you mix all these different periods, it's so much more wonderful and so much more rich when right. you have all right. the different elements together. Right. Well, isn't there something right. fun too about knowing about things and reading about them and learning about them and then sussing them out and finding them? So much more fun than just going to a store and buying something brand new. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's an interesting thing that you talk about, Michelle, is that I feel that a lot of times with clients, 
they just need to be educated. They just need to be taught. And if, they, if you explain why something is the way it is, they actually take great pride uh, to understand that and to explain that to, to their friends and family. So I think that, that the education of our clients is a big part of our job as well. And I think it's a very important part. It will help, help make them understand and appreciate what we're recommending to them. So, and because I come from this antique background, I always give people a little booklet on the antiques in their house with a little description and, um, you know, something oh, about the period. that's a lovely thing to do for clients. I know people really like it because, you know, when people come over, they like to explain and they don't always remember all the details. But so I usually do that for people. And I think it's something they really like. Well, I used to say that what I did at El Decor was to give people things to talk about at a cocktail party. You know, people love a story. And if you say, oh, there's this new furniture maker in Alabama that I read about, or, you know, or this piece in my house came from such and such, I think that really enriches the experience for them. Absolutely, exactly. Getting people to connect with everything in their house, as opposed to just the stove or the refrigerator or the sofa, I think is one of the great things that you guys do. And I think that I'm sure, I have a sense anyway that, you know, when you lead them through ordering this crazy wallpaper that you love, Michelle, or, you know, an old painting, Tim, that you found that encapsulates a certain period, I'm sure they love getting that story because it connects them in a way. Absolutely. That's so much richer and you know, Michael, layered. I think Timothy and I have both always been students of the decorative arts. So. Right. Everyone who works for me in my office, I have these books that I've created starting back with 80s House and Garden. I would tear out these articles about Passementry or cashmere shawls. And anyway, they're huge. And I make everyone who works for me take them home and read them. And I think that, you know, you can't sell the decorative arts if you don't understand it. And a lot of young designers come in my showroom and they really don't teach this in school. And I think it's quite a shame. And I think that's the difference in a way in the European design is that people grow up going to every museum. They have the Victorian Albert, which is full of all kinds of decorative arts. And, you know, we don't revere that as much in America. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's true. And, and I think there's out, the outlets for people to learn about that are harder. And, it, you know, most people now learn things online. They don't go to, to even libraries the way they used to. I mean, it's so important. Museums are just so important. Right, right. right. And, and I do think museums are more popular than ever, which is a great thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Once they reopen, please, yes. dear God, let it be soon. You know, I think that that is has become a real resource for people, but I think the backup knowledge is harder for them to come by. So it's interesting. Do you do something similar with your staff, Tim? I mean, how do you train young designers and young people who love design? Fortunately, we've got a very good chapter of the Institute of Classical Art and Architecture architecture and art here in Southern California. And so we actually pay for them to attend all the different uh, seminars and classes. On, that is so great. Right now there's one on so the, the, the history of molding and, and the order of molding. There's another oh, one that's coming up on ornamentation. And I'm sure these are, these are all on Zoom. So they, you know, if, you, if you go to the Institute ICAA website, you will find these courses. And they are, are you on the board of that, Timothy? I have been on the board in the past, but I'm not I'm anymore. So when we hang up, you have to send me that link. I will. It's, but it's, it's great. And I think it's so important. We actually make an effort. Um, anytime any of our employees go to a museum, we'll pay, we, pay the, we pay their admissions. Um, mm-hmm. we, you know, we really encourage them to, do, to, to continue to learn. And I think just like you, Michelle, we've got a huge, huge library here. And so we even encourage interns to, to take books out and 
bring them, you know, they have to bring them back. That's the key thing. Right, right. But, uh, but, but it's, it's such, so important to have all that data because the context is so much more important. And we've talked, I've talked to this before. I think Michael and I've talked about this, that with Instagram is great, but it doesn't give any context to the images and you have to understand the background and the history of them. And, and I have and that's three so darling interns right now that are all so, um, obsessed with design. And I think that, you know, when you get someone like that who comes on your team, there's just something that is such a blessing about that. You know, people that really have passion about design and want to learn everything and soak it up. And I love working with those young interns and helping them, you know, find their way that way. It really gives me a lot of joy. And I think that's hopeful. And I mean, I've noticed even a little resurgence of interest in shaker furniture, which was <laughs> another love. rage when yes. I was, was younger. And I love, I uh-huh. think it's fantastic. And, you know, the, the prices went way up and now whatever that simplicity, but you know, the, the quality. You know what else I think is really coming back? You're just going to die when I say this. I think Queen Anne furniture is going to have a resurgence. But what I think is going to happen is it's going to be the Queen Anne with crazy fabric on it you know, some crazy quilt on it or some modern print on it. I just, I see this a little, I've seen this a little bit in Italy and I think it's going to be happening. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And I think there's a, people want the stories and they want the information again, which exactly. I, I find it very exciting, you know. Yes. Me too. Yes. So I want to thank you all for listening and I want to thank my fantastic guests, Michelle Nussbaumer and Tim Corrigan. And until next time, thanks for listening to the Cherish Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Cherish Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or even better, go to the iTunes store and post a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and edited by Max Solomon of Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time.